In conversation. In conversation. In conversation. In conversation. In conversation with Amy Malbeth and JC Ray Short. Hashtag MeetyAF. Welcome. As part of its ongoing community outreach and in-gallery interpretive initiatives, the Art Gallery of Alberta is producing a podcast series titled In Conversation. The series is designed to complement the interpretive content of AGA exhibitions by providing listeners with interviews from exhibiting artists and other creative professionals. Today is Sunday, May 27, 2018. My name is Namka Besky, and I will be conducting this interview with artists and guest curators Amy Malbaf and Jesse Ray Short, following the opening of their exhibition, Lisa Lay, at the Art Gallery of Alberta. Amy Malbaf is a Métis artist from Rich Lake, Alberta. In her multimedia practice, she integrates traditional techniques, such as the use of caribou hair tufting, beadwork, as well as contemporary approaches to installation, performance, and video to explore the notions of identity, sense of place, language, and ecology. Jesse Ray Short is an artist, filmmaker, and independent curator whose cross-disciplinary practice involves memory, visual culture, and Metis history. Hello, Amy and JC, and, and thank you for joining me in, in this conversation today. Before we begin, I would like to take the opportunity to acknowledge the original caretakers of this land. We're sitting here at the Gallery of Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the original home of over 16 First Nations, a homeland of the Métis, and a traditional meeting ground for Indigenous peoples. Honoring Treaty 6 publicly helps inspire mutual respect and shared understanding. After all, we are all Treaty people. And so this ritual helps remind us of the importance of a nation-to-nation -nation relationship, one of alliance and sharing. So Amy, JC, I would like to start um, the interview by uh, asking you both to introduce yourself and tell us more about your artistic and curatorial practice. Hi, my name is Amy Malbuff. I'm Métis from the Lacobiche area, and I'm a visual artist. And I'm not really a curator, <laughs> mm. um, and in my visual art I really focus, I work in a lot of different mediums, uh, beadwork, tufting, uh, installation, video, performance, uh, all really relating to exploring identity and exploring ecology. And I'm also a tattoo artist. Mm. Um, I, well. I wouldn't necessarily tattoo artist, but uh, indigenous cultural tattoo practitioner would be more how I want to describe it. And uh, I'm very new to curating. This is the second show I've curated. It's very exciting. Okay, so hi, I'm Jesse. I'm also Métis. Uh, my family is uh, more from Saskatchewan area, um, Park Valley and Willow Bunch, and I'm sure other places that I'm unaware of. And a lot of my practice, I mean, I've been working a lot on um, Métis visual culture and as a way to like learn about my own family history and also like engage with what that means to me. 
and uh, to be Métis. And so I've uh, started doing a lot of filmmaking. Uh, I'm still pretty new at it, but um, I really, really love it. And uh, I've done a bit of performance art, uh, which includes, uh, I'm learning how to weave sashes uh, slowly. I've, that's been a bit on hold since doing this right now, but, um, you know, and I have incorporated sash weaving into performance before. And I also, um, yeah, have curated a little bit in the past. Uh, I think I've done about six shows now. So this is like the sixth. And I also uh, have written a little bit. Actually, Amy and I wrote, co-wrote that article, whenever it's going to come out. <laughs> I keep forgetting about that because it's in some book. So uh, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, this is uh, really informs, I think, everything that I do in my practice. And um, I just... Feel like the stories are so rich and so important you know so there's like always more that i want to do yeah. okay thank you both so amy i'm gonna start with you with a question uh, for you you have a unique multimedia practice that you know integrates traditional techniques with um, a contemporary approach such as the use of caribou and moose hair tufting for instance and embroidery um, and so these techniques speak to, you know, current indigenous realities. And in a recent Canadian art article from last April, um, Mihai Pehon described your installations, performance and video work as an exploration of personal, familial, cultural and environmental relationships with the land as home, sustenance and territory. So, <laughs> that is <laughs> big words. Yeah. Um, can, you, um, can you develop further on how, on how you address these notions, if you address these notions, mm -hmm. and, and how do they connect with each other? Yeah, I think her description of, of my work is really apt. And it's, to me, all of those aspects are very much interrelated and, and cannot be separated. A lot of a lot of my work is is deeply personal, and even though it may not be evident, it's it's often a form of portraiture in a way. And I really see my practice as as a way for me to understand the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so it's a way for me to process, um, you know, what's going on around me, and whether that's like a deeply personal experience or family history, or what's going on in my family at the moment in time. Um, and then, of course, what's going, what's going on around me. And so I think all those things are very much related for me. Okay. Um, and so the, the Art Gallery of Alberta has been um, you know, a keen supporter of your work since 2014, um, when we first presented the exhibition uh, Kaya Sago, curated by Christy Trigny. But also more recently, with uh, Wordmark, your your work was uh, on display um, for this particular exhibition, and so that work, Kayasago, is not part of the um, the art gallery's permanent collection. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think the intention for the uh, for the institution is to not only represent the diversity of artistic of, of expression across the country, but also kind of creating this lasting legacy 
So when we think about uh, KSIGO as an installation, uh, for instance, this work addresses complex issues about the representation or maybe misrepresentation of um, indigenous peoples, both historically and, and in a contemporary context. Can, can you talk about this piece in particular? This work is um, it's an attempt to showcase the voices of, I guess, multifarious indigenous people. And so what it is, is it's quotes or phrases that I've pulled from, um, you know, public lectures, from authors, from my family, from my friends, from my colleagues in the art world. Um, and there, it was, it's self-portraiture as well, because it's very much about how when other people's words resonate with you in some way, uh, it becomes a part of who you are. And so that sounds like, you know, maybe all the, the words are profound in, in the exhibition, but they're not. Some are very much silly and humorous yeah. and some are very, um, you know, some are profound. And it was just to show, you know, just, just a multitude of voices. And, and that's, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for sharing <laughs> this. Um, Jesse, you too can speak on the, uh, the absence of, um, you know, um, many people from the, from the larger conversations about, you know, indigenous visual culture. You are known for your impersonation of uh, Louis Riel in the video Wake Up which is an exploration of your identity as a, as, a, as a Métis, but also as a woman, as a Métis woman. Could you share the context of this project and, and why you chose the iconic image of Luriel? Well, I, that was actually the first film I made. And, um, you know, I have a larger project, a documentary project that I've been slowly working on. And, uh, when I would talk to people that I knew in sort of filmmaking and like mostly indigenous filmmaking world, they kept all saying, you know, nobody's going to let you be a director if you don't have prior directing credits. Yeah. And um, I felt very strongly about this documentary project that I really need creative control, so I have to be the director. Um, so I was like, well, fine, I'll make a film. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was able to do this film um, through a mentorship with um, the Imaginative Film Festival and the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers. Yeah, it was like a small mentorship and they gave me a bit of money, they gave me access to production equipment and um, also, I could take any class that for like six months, I could take any class that they offered. And so I was just going to like courses constantly because wow. I was like trying to figure it out. In order to get that, like I had to apply and I was selected. But um, so I had to think about something, right? It had to be a short film. And I just, I had been talking about turning myself into Louis Riel for a while, like as a performance or something like that. Like mm -hmm. I could just see it so strongly in my mind. I just felt really compelled to do it. <laughs> I was like, I need to do this. And so I pitched that as a film. So like an experimental video, basically. Yeah, so I guess that was the context. 
it was kind of a really funny process because then I had to like learn how to turn myself into Louis Riel in front of the camera like that yeah. was part of it I wanted people to see that transformation yeah. you know starting as me and like watch me mm -hmm. do this um, so I practiced a lot like for months yeah. turning myself into yeah. Louis Riel like just on my spare time like, you know, I'm gonna do my hair tonight <laughs> my mom and I would talk like about Louis Riel's hair like constantly to like understand the texture and then yeah. I was like I, you know it's curly too, like my hair. Yeah. So, yeah, we were just, it was funny. We would just like try and figure out how to recreate this. Cause I'm referencing a very specific picture of him. Like, it's okay. probably sort of the famous picture of him. So, we'd look at it and be like, how do we recreate this look, right? And um, yeah, so then I, I finally did it. it. It was really fun. And so, I wanted to, uh, I mean, that was all part of it for me right is like kind of really embodying this presence because I was trying to figure out you know so often our stories you know if people know anything about Métis people yeah. it's most likely about Louis Riel and if not him Gabriel Dumont and that's kind of where it stops mm -hmm. usually and uh, they're very important figures in our, in our culture and it's important the, what they did for us but there's so many more stories so I was kind of trying to expand on that right like kind of question like you know like what do I have to do or what do people have to do to get more stories out there and like to to really engage with all parts of Métis culture not just these two iconic figures um, and I was I, like, do I have to embody Louis Riel so I can be heard? A little bit like that, yeah, it was a little bit like that. Um, you know, and uh, you know, also, I also really you know, res respect everything that was done, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it was just this frustration with, why is this the if only thing, you know, often that anybody knows about us? Um, yeah, so I turned myself into Louis Riel. And it was really, it was, um, it was fun. It was interesting. Um, I think I kind of looked a little bit like him, <laughs> did, like it, which was really shocking. I didn't really yeah. expect that. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe it's the hair. I don't know. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's the basic context. And actually, this when it showed, it, I see you have a note here about Mountain Standard performative art festival yeah. it showed in a window gallery in downtown Calgary so it was just the video on repeat like a transformation on repeat so people could stand there and watch it and they couldn't hear um, in the festival version there's like a, a dialogue track that mm -hmm. couldn't hear that and then at the end I tell everybody to wake up right which is referencing this quote that was mentioned the other day um, so my people will sleep for a hundred years and when they speak it will be the artists who give them back their spirit so that's been attributed to Louis Riel and you know it's a beautiful quote and I love it and I also um, was really frustrated at the time too because I felt like when I heard people referencing it they would just kind of say it and then be like there I've said it you know and I, I really feel like it's a call to action okay yeah and so I was getting kind of frustrated so I never intended yeah. to speak as Louis Riel because I felt like that's a huge responsibility yeah 
But in the end, I decided I need to say something kind of in response to this. And I was like, I feel like, you know, it's been well over a hundred years since that quote was apparently said or written or whatever. And uh, so I think we need to wake up and keep going. So that was in the end, I decided I could say wake up, you know, sort of a command to anybody using that quote. Like, all right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's keep doing yeah. the work. <laughs> that quote is also in the Kayasago uh yep. series. And mm -hmm. it's the only like it's the only historical quote I've used. The rest are all contemporary, you know, something I've heard in the last, you know, few years before I made that work. Um, I felt kind of almost like this sense of obligation to use it, but I also I also think it is it's a very interesting and complicated quote like people just use it like to the point of misuse mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of my interest in it in, in using it and you know our, the thing is that I think a lot of our people as artists you know have woken up yeah. long before you know like yeah. the work we're doing now is you know built on decades of the, the Métis artists and mm -hmm. cultural workers that have come before us and so yeah, I think it's really great that you did that in that piece <laughs> <laughs> no and I agree too like you know people have been doing this work right but again it's just this lack of recognition mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah they've been doing the work but yeah there's no way that we could have done yeah. say Lise yeah. LA if this there hadn't been so much work beforehand but mm -hmm. again it's sort of my frustration with like everybody always going back to you know Louis Riel but and that's it Mm -hmm. Right, it's yeah. like, but there's so much more that we're not acknowledging. Like we need to wake up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and expose ourselves and be curious and you yeah, know exactly. um, yeah. dig deeper. Yeah. So I believe this is not the the first time that you two have uh, have been working together on a, on an exhibition project. And in 2017, you co-curated the exhibition where the weather happens. Um, which featured works by uh, Jason Berg, uh, Jamie Cabell, and uh, Sherry Nold, who is also present in this exhibition. Um, so, Jesse, can you tell me a bit about you know your shared history with Emmy <laughs> and how and how this collaboration came about? <laughs> well, we found out we're related. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow! It's okay. like classic. Like, yeah. I think the first time we really like. I actually curated Amy into my first show ever in 2012, and that's the first time okay. I met you. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you did that performance, uh, which was really beautiful, <laughs> in Toronto. And um, yeah, and then we kind of, I think, see each other here and there. And then I was living in the BC interior, and I was very lonely and sad. It was a very small town, and you know, I found out. Jordan and Amy were living in Kelowna. It was about a two and a half hour drive, and I would just, <laughs> out of like, just sort of loneliness, total, mm -hmm. I would drive there a lot. And then that was, I think, when we really started talking. Mm -hmm. And one of those talks was like pulling out a family tree and being like, and Amy caught yeah. it first, was like, I have a short in my family. <laughs> so we, like, we're like, oh yeah, that's the same one. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah so. which is a very uh, you know that's not unusual for Métis people who you know a lot of us are 
are related somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. So it's a common experience. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not just, unusual. No, not at all. And it's like, <laughs> and it's nice too, like to kind of place yourself, you know, in relation to each other. You know, that was kind of funny. And um, but we were. I had finished my master's degree in 2011, and I wrote about contemporary Métis visual culture. Um, I know I was also sort of autoethnographic too, like so I wrote about my own family and my experiences and stuff. Amy was doing her MFA at the time, which also has a written component, and we just we would just talk about um, how challenging it was to find resources about Métis art. Like there is so little that we could find. Like there's definitely some, but it's it's really you know compared to so many other things. <laughs> like it was really challenging. Yeah. So we you know because I found that, and then Amy you know was in that process. Like we would talk a lot, and we'd like share resources, and I think that's just how this started to develop. Like it was out of this sort of shared frustration at the mm-hmm. lack of information. Uh, but then also realizing, you know, we we'd be like, well, why are there, why is there so little information? Because you know, we know Métis artists, like we know lots of them from Prague, and so we just started naming them, and we started yeah. to come up with lists, and we're like, there's a lot of people, like, yeah. why isn't, you know, why isn't there more? Um, yeah, so I think it kind of developed. Is it because of oral traditions, and so you know, not necessarily writing down um, the stories or well I think that's part of it it's not that it's not so much that I think we were looking for those stories I think we were looking for writing about contemporary Métis art and so you know people write a lot now yeah right and um, that's what was lacking yeah that's that was the information we're having a hard time finding and um, as well as Métis art, I think being contextualized is Métis art, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, you know, a lot of artists who have had like solo exhibitions or their work has been included in other group shows, but it's, it's never properly contextualized as, yeah. a, as a Métis artist or Métis art. Or maybe it's always in comparison of, not for itself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's for it's for other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But coming back to the exhibition where where the weather happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you des- you describe that um, that past exhibition as and I'm going to quote it here, uh, an expression of a relationship and interactions between the land and sky as beings who live within this space. And so I, when, when I read that quote, um, I started you know, making a connection between this description and then the current exhibition, Lisele, uh, which means the sun in, in Michif. And so in both exhibitions, you, you draw you know, on, on directly observable phenomena, in particular, you know, the celestial phenomena, the weather and the sun, to articulate this curatorial vision into a metaphor. So I'm interested to know more about how you develop your curatorial concepts through these metaphors. <laughs> it's beautiful, it's poetic. Thanks. These exhibitions, both the Where the Weather Happens and Lee Soleil, are very much related. Okay. And they're, they come from the same research because mm-hmm. we, were, we were already working towards Lee Soleil when 
when that exhibition came into being. And so we were pulling from the same, we were pulling from the research we had already done from Lisa Lay for Where the Weather Happens, okay. even though it happened yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, before Lisa Lay. And so I think um, that was something that was really, I guess, just like ideas of natural law and the land yeah. and life cycles. Um, an interconnectedness between bodies and land, bodies as land, um, was was evident in a lot of the artists' work that we visited, uh, including the, you know, the artists whose work was not included in in these exhibitions. So it seemed like a really key a key point to to be working from, mm-hmm. essentially. We can talk about Lisalei as well, and and you know how you use the. The metaphor of the sun, for instance, mm-hmm. um, you know, partially obscured by clouds, or, or, or you mentioned at some point the eclipse as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you wrote uh, an eclipse or a cloudy day may present an incomplete or partial vision of the sun. And so, similarly, Miti people are largely partially visible and partially understood within the curatorial fabric of Canada. I said curatorial fabric. I meant cultural fabric (laughs) (laughs) of Canada. There's too much curatorial going on here. Um, So, yeah, and so like the the eclipse sun, the the, the many people are always present and always whole, although they are often perceived as being partial. You know, maybe you can expand on that um, uh, sun and eclipse metaphor and how it, uh, you know, um, built or um, underlies the creation of this exhibition? Well, I think it's sort of similar to what Amy was just saying. And uh, again, it's like the weather and the sun, you know, we're all in it. We're all affected by it. Um, It encompasses us. Yeah. And we all live in relation to it. And um... I guess I think the, I think it's mostly, mostly this legacy of the word half-breed, mm-hmm. um, you know, up implying that we're half of something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And half of what? I, you know. Yeah, you yeah. can't have half like, what a person is, walking around. What, yeah. Like, what is the half? <laughs> yeah. Like, that automatically implies that you're unwhole. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that is the way that people have perceived Métis people, is unwhole. And so have treated us as such you know, throughout time and, and in, in contemporary society. And so that's, that's why we started using, you know, the metaphor of, mm. of any celestial body yeah. that we can see from the earth is that you don't necessarily always have a full vision of it, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so I think we've used that metaphor of not being able to fully see something. Okay. Even though it's a whole. Even though right? it's a whole, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So we haven't been seen. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, but we are whole. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how we, 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 we wanted to use a celestial body yeah. in relation. Yeah. And I think metaphor is a way to get away from saying that we're half of something because 
um, or you know not whole because I think as soon as you start using that language people are just like yeah I knew that and like I feel like people would get stuck on that yeah and so that's why we've tried to say you know only partially visible only you know rather than just right away saying you know people see us as half this or that and uh, yeah so that it, it it's it's kind of a tactic to hopefully use the kind of language that explains the, the, that sort of difficulty, but doesn't reinforce it. So people can kind of approach this show and the work a bit more openly and go in thinking about the wholeness of it. And there's a connection. We, you know, it, it is also a clever way to bring everyone on board because we all have that connection with the sky, right? Yeah, we're all yeah, under exactly. the sky. Yeah. So we're not looking at something that is um, that I can't relate to, right? Yeah. I'm also part of it. Yeah. So. yeah, and like the sun is a life-giving force for yeah. everyone on this planet and all the beings, yeah. not just the people, everyone. Mm -hmm. And so it, it also related to, I think, our you know, our cultural worldviews and ways of being and spirituality yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. And you transcribed it as well in the exhibition with the installation uh, of um, uh, Les Ramsey, mm -hmm. right? With the, his large paintings and then the smaller um, painting. Can you talk about that as well? I find mm -hmm. that brilliant. I just really <laughs> like it. Oh yeah, well, so he, I mean, he, well, he works on different scales, but he yeah. has a lot of really large paintings yeah. um, and these beautiful fabric assemblages. And um, uh, he also does smaller work and um, specifically, I think it's, oh man, is it cross stitch or is it, it's like um, kind of like an embroidered, mm -hmm. embroidered pieces. Okay. And um, yeah, so I mean, he made the large piece Between the Edge of the Sun for this show specifically, like in response to the title. Um, but we also, you know, he showed us a lot of other work that he had available, and we really liked uh, the smaller work as well because they were so, such a contrast. Mm -hmm. Like they're very related, but very contrasted as well. And so the size contrast, I think, was really nice. And I think not only in the installation of a lot of the works in the show, but in terms of the content and materials of, of the works, they're very much directly related to that idea of the sun. And, you know, we see that in the natural materials in yeah. Casey Coison's work, uh, Sherry Nault's. Dana's antlers. Yeah, Dana Danger's, mm -hmm. as well as... Uh, Catherine. Yeah, Catherine I mean, Boyer yeah. uh, and Gabriel Lerondel uh, Hill. They have these natural materials that, of course, you know, were plants that could not have grown without oh, the sun. Sherry paints with yeah. egg tempera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know, just the the content in the works, like in Amanda Strong's video, they're mm -hmm. you know they're talking about ways of living off the land and being with the land and being with the moon and mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. It's all it's all very much related to the life-giving force yeah. of the sun. So we've talked 
a bit about your artistic background and we actually already dived into the exhibition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. So I guess what, what, I'm, uh, what I'd like to talk about now is, you know, the uh, Liselet as a groundbreaking project. And, you know, it is, it is the first exhibition serving and interrogating the state of contemporary Métis art making across Canada that's being hosted by a, a large public art museum such as, such as the ASDA. And so I'm wondering, you know, how did the idea and the opportunity for this exhibition come about? So in, you know, what we talked about earlier, sort of how we are shared history and collaboration. Yeah. So continuing on that, when we were both still in BC, you know, we sort of talked, talked about this a lot and we decided like that we needed to, we wanted, we felt compelled to do something. So we applied for a grant kind of at the last minute and we were just, you know, we, we wanted to do studio visits uh, with artists across the country, uh, with Métis artists, to get a really good view of what's happening right now, what people are making, what's important to them, and we pitched it um, to the AFA as uh, curatorial research mm -hmm. for this show that we would have. That wasn't part of the grant, but we're like, you know, then we'll be able to, with this research, we'll be able to develop a show and we can approach galleries with it. And then we got the grant, and uh, so we had to do the studio visits, <laughs> which, which was uh, really exciting and a lot of work, but we met so many different uh, artists. So, I mean, that, that came out of you know that's that's what came out of it and then we were kind of at the end of our studio visits and we got the opportunity to meet with Catherine and Laura I think here you know yeah. here at the AGA yeah. and um, pitch this exhibition with them and it was it was kind of funny because I don't know that we weren't super expecting to you know we weren't sure if we would get the grant and then yeah. we we're like okay well well and then we'll have to work on a show and we don't know how long it will take but then got <laughs> this this show so soon after yeah. after we'd finished the visits. Perfect timing. It was perfect timing. But you didn't have that time to digest. Like you had to right kind of right away transform that into a show. I think it was the perfect amount of time to digest okay. because yeah. we had done the studio visits over already over a year, right? So we were yeah. we were kind of digesting as yeah. as we yeah, yeah. as we went. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and so you were you were you know referencing these um, uh, cross country studio visits. I'm wondering what were your some of your expectations? Did you have any expectations you know in these early stages, or did it kind of you know all came together as you were you know serving and discovering different ways of expression? It kind of all came in place. I mean, personally, I had no expectations, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which sounds kind of wild to say, but I mean, oh. I just didn't like. First of all, I had never done, a, like I'd always been on the other end of the studio visit, right? Like a curator coming to yeah. my studio. Yeah. And so, you know, I had I had no sort of expectations even of what, what I'd be going into or what I was looking for. I was just really curious to see what people were doing. Yeah. And because we did it over, you know, over a year or more of, of the studio visits and we didn't do all of them together we like we split the country up oh, okay. so we weren't mm -hmm. 
the only ones we did together were here in Alberta because that's both where we were based. Okay. But we, so what we would do is one of us would go to, you know, I drove around Saskatchewan and then right after, like a few days later, Jesse and I would have a meeting and I would report back to her, this is what happened in Saskatchewan, right? So we'd make, we'd have meetings after each time one of us went somewhere and report back to the other. And, you know, so we, we very quickly started to see certain themes coming mm-hmm. as we went along. What kind of themes? <laughs> what, what are these themes? And, you know, like how the themes kind of shaped the, uh, the exhibition afterwards. Can I say something about the expectations too? Yeah, but, sure. Yeah, um, I just, like, I think we, uh, I didn't really have any expectations either, but I think we both wanted to approach it that way because we we were just honestly so curious about what people were doing so we didn't go in looking with like a specific thing like you have to be doing this kind of work or you have to have shown in this many galleries like we met with community-based artists we met with very senior artists who've been practicing for a long time and you know have collectors and stuff like we just met with anybody we could find and who wanted to meet with and us. who wanted to meet with <laughs> us yeah 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 um you know and, and just so hearing through the grapevine like about an artist or you know we like we'd meet people and and it was really nice that we worked together because like it's so many studio visits there's it would have been really exhausting to do just alone i think yeah and so you know sometimes i'd be like oh i'd hear about somebody in a place that amy was going to or vice versa you know like we'd keep each other informed yeah. all the time so it was really nice to work just very openly and just honestly see yeah. what was what people were yeah. doing. The reason I I ask about expectations is because you've been you know researching on this, and so when you research, you maybe you start establishing a certain framework or look at something maybe for from a more academic perspective mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so that's why I was wondering you know when you're on the ground do you come in with okay well I've been reading about this and some of the themes you know like uh, kinship or body or the labor you know oh I'm I need to find an artist that uh, talks about it mm-hmm. or um, but not necessarily um, yeah it seems that you were open, very open-minded, open, and, and I didn't even necessarily have like a type of methodology going oh, yeah. in. You know, okay. I didn't go in with prepared questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do a ton of research on each artist before I yeah. met with them because I wanted to hear from them and let them talk. And yeah. let them talk. Yeah. And so I would just go in and be like, "It's all up to you." Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, what like, do you want to show me? What do you want to show me? Yeah. yeah. What do you want to yeah. talk about? Yeah. That was the approach. Yeah, and then so for themes, I think that's, like, it just started to come up, right? Like, as you would travel and see it, um, see, meet with artists, and when we would talk to each other about the artists that we'd met with, yeah, these themes just naturally came up. So it wasn't something we were trying to, like, force, force the work into that. That's what people were doing. Okay, so some of these themes are, um, you know, about the land, the territory, um, Métis nation, um, and, and cultural identity, um, kinship, the body, and and labor. And and to follow on that idea, uh, one of uh, one of the issues that the this exhibition highlights and, and addresses is um, that Métis art practices and, and Métis culture and history more broadly. 
um, are often invisible. We, we talked about that uh, earlier due to uh, being contained under broader discussions of indigenous art with not necessarily enough room for um, uh, to, be, to be defined within their, their own context. Why, why do you think uh, Métis art and artists are now um, beginning to gain recognition as such? I think we had some discussions with some of the artists that yeah. have been working for many years longer than myself and Jesse. Yeah. And a part of it in his, historic contemporary indigenous art <laughs> yeah. um, is that indigenous people from all backgrounds were just working so hard just to get indigenous art in the door. It didn't matter who yeah. or why or what the context was or if there was a theme or you know, they're just trying to get into the galleries and, and to be recognized at all, right? So I think we're moving to a time period where, you know, we can be more, we can make exhibitions that are more specific, whether it's a specific theme or a specific nation, yeah. um, because of that groundwork that okay. the, the indigenous, like, that's been, know, done in the past. that's been done in the mm -hmm. past. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think that's a, a part of it. And I think another part of it is that Métis has been a, <laughs> a, difficult, a difficult and complex, or I don't know how I want to say this, nobody wants to touch us. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I know it's, it, I mean, um, I think yeah. I know what you're saying, because I think people just, again, because there's just this real lack of information, I guess, about us, um, or understanding. Or understanding. Yeah, understanding. And and it is complicated, but, it, you know, it's also not like we know who we are. <laughs> There's a real unwillingness to engage with Métis artists as Métis artists. And, um, you know, from, from other Indigenous curators, from non-Indigenous curators, and I'm not, I'm not completely sure why, but there's definitely just a, you know, I've sensed it before. And so, again, I think we just felt compelled, or at least I guess I did, I do, to do something like this, you know, so that people can engage with us. And, you know, to say, you know, again, just adding to the work that's already been done, so that we can point to this and be like, well, look, there's, there's more now, you know, and we're here and we're ready to engage with you and, you know, talk to us, work with us. Do you think it has to come from Metis people uh, specifically to create, uh, to make this type of exhibitions? Well, like, I guess so, because yeah. we're the only ones who have done it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, like, maybe because before there was yeah. that fear of talking about something you're not, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it had to be done by mm -hmm. Métis people. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's important that it comes from us, yeah. um, but I also am totally open to people who aren't Métis, but who really want to engage. Yeah in a genuine, open way. You know, I'm down with that. And I think, is it Kathy? Yeah, I think it was Kathy Mattis yesterday on the 
second symposium panel yeah. who was saying when we were asking about you know what does Lisa Lee not address that needs to be addressed or you know what's missing and she was saying that she would like to see engagement with First Nations artists and Métis artists to and you know exploring that relationship more yeah. like I would think I think that would be great I would mm -hmm. love that you yeah. know and 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 beyond like not just First Nations like it could be anybody you know, hopefully this is, will encourage people to, to engage more with us. As, as artists, um, both of you have made work that deals not only with the um, invisibilization of Métis identity, but uh, also the, the further erasure of Métis women from history and maybe Métis histories as well. How did this concern, you know, with the double marginalization of Métis women inform the creation of, uh, of this exhibition? Well, I think we very consciously uh, wanted to curate a lot of women yeah. <laughs> into the show. <laughs> or, and also, I guess I should say, too, not just women, but, um, you know, people who are gender fluid, two-spirited, yeah. uh, are also included, included in this show. Yeah. So that was really important to us. And... Um, we also have three men, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're—I mean, everybody in the show is so talented and, yeah. and incredible. Um, I think, like, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about Louis Riel and yeah. Gabriel Dumont. Like, that's a lot of people's only understanding, right? And those are the only stories that people hear. And so, there's no women's stories that we hear yeah. uh, very often. And I think, including a lot of women in this exhibition uh it's like re it's like rewriting us back into yeah. our own mm -hmm. culture and our own history yeah and look at the panel yesterday like all these you know many strong women sharing like fantastic histories and i don't know it was just <laughs> yeah it was beautiful it was really great. powerful yeah, was, yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> and so another aspect of this exhibition also lies in the the number of um, uh, indigenous languages that that are featured prominently if i'm not mistaken there's about seven languages mm -hmm. and, and dialects so we have michif multiple dialects of cree uh swampy cree Cree from the region, the Winnipeg region as well, and um, Plains Cree, Tricho, I think, mm -hmm. is that how we pronounce it, and then Salto. And, and so the wall text and, and, and labels in the exhibition are, are in one of, the, of these languages. And, and English is only, you know, kept for the, for the booklet. So visitors have to access the booklet to uh, kind of access to uh, the meaning of these works. What inspired this choice? Um, I think it was part of, um, you know, again, I guess because Métis people, you know, were indigenous through the the different First Nations that, um, you know, our European trader fathers <laughs> from different European countries had come to have kids with. And so there's like a lot of diversity within the Métis nation. Yeah. And uh, so I think we kind of wanted to show that, like yeah. how people are connected to those different First Nations. Yeah. Um, but then also that uh, Michif is a, you know, it's a, a Métis language and, and a lot of people um, will also identify it not as Métis because, I mean, ultimately that's a French word, um, but as Michif. 
And so we also wanted to have that language um, featured quite prominently as yeah. the title text for the two entrances, it's Mitchiff. And I think that really grounds the exhibition when people come yeah. in. Like, I, it's amazing to see it when mm -hmm. they put the vinyl on and we actually saw it. We were just like, it was so exciting, right? Yeah. I don't speak Mitchiff. <laughs> I've learned a little bit, tiniest bit. But, um, you know, it's also to acknowledge that these languages are very important and they're also um, being spoken less and less. So I think putting them front and center as well is um, really important to, yeah. to have them in a, in a space like this, just in, in the space, any space, you know, and asserting this presence. I think it's really important. And I think it was also, uh, there's also French as well, because, um, you know, some families spoke French as well. Yeah, and, that's true. Um, I think it was also important to us to make people engage with the work. So it's not just, um, you know, you just kind of come in and you read the label and you look super quick and then you just move on. And, you know, having that always just ex expectation that it's this should be really accessible and easy for you yeah. you know we want to challenge people a little bit you know they i mean either they don't uh try to understand and they just kind of get frustrated yeah. and leave or or you know they they take the booklet and or they talk to oh, an oh, attendant yeah. and they yeah. you know they really you know have to do yeah. the work right yeah i mean working with you on the interpretation it was really interesting for me to actually for one of the first time fully engage the gallery attendants because visitors will have to speak to them and so you have that human connection you, mm -hmm. you have to mm -hmm. speak to another human being to actually you know uh maybe know further but it's also this idea of i thought it was interesting that it's almost as if you enter in not a new territory, but a known territory, because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, English is not anymore what you know. And so it makes you think, you know, well, think about what, you know, Métis people and Indigenous people might feel and think when they are in a place and the, the official language is not necessarily the most spoken or... Absolutely. Um, so it's also a statement mm -hmm. yeah, as well. Yeah, and, I, you know, our ancestors, our grandmothers and grandfathers, they, they spoke multiple, multiple languages, mm -hmm. several languages, because they were connected to so many different groups of people around them and traveled so much. And, um, you know, it was a couple generations and, you know, English, yeah. and English is totally dominating. Yeah. And so it's a way to reclaim yeah. that, mm -hmm. right? And I was, I think it's important to know too, we didn't assign these languages. We ask each artist, what is your language? What is your ancestor's yeah. language? What language do you want to represent your work? So I think that's important to know that it comes from each individual artist and, yeah. you know, their communities. You know, I was, I'm, you know, I'm a full, you know, I think language revitalization is so important and it's an important part of my practice. So. I'm a full supporter of it, but I was really inspired when I saw the exhibition catalog for the exhibition Decolonize Me, which was curated by uh, Inuk curator Heather Gwoliordi. And in that catalog, there's all the 
you know, bios and information about the art, each artist. There's a group exhibition, and it's in English, French, and the the artist's indigenous language. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really love that catalog. It's yeah. one of my favorites. And so I wanted to, you know, I took inspiration from that okay. as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very, it's very meaningful, the, um, you know, that the, um, you use languages in, in your work and then it, it is apparent, it is present in this mm-hmm. exhibition as well. Um, and I think it's also something that we are connected to as well, you know, on top mm-hmm. of the celestial sky and... Uh, um, so we are we're sharing these these yes. languages as well, yes. um, and non-indigenous people yeah. I think should make it a point to learn at least some of the words yeah. of the indigenous language mm-hmm. of the territory they inhabit. Absolutely, I think that's a great way to engage with indigenous people, whether it's Métis or Cree or you know whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, because our our worldviews are in those languages. So yeah. even if you understand a little bit, you understand a little bit more about us. Well, in that process, when I was working with Verena for the Midshift Translations, we had all these email exchange, and uh, and so she was telling me, you know, uh, good morning in Midshift, and you know, and and I saw the connection with French, right? So I was, uh, so I was, uh, then I went online and I looked, and I was like, okay, how do I say that in Midshift? And then I was, <laughs> and then I was telling, I was typing the word in Midshift, you know, uh, good day to you, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I was like, well, it's 50-50. Either she's going to love it or um, it's going to be so cheesy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I made the effort because I thought it was so fascinating, right? I could recognize Bon Matin. Yeah, it was, there were some simulators. So anyway, it was interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, so the, um, the works in Isale, you know, we talked about these notions of, uh, of kinship and, and, and territory. And, and so the artist's responses to, uh, to these ideas, um, you know, are, are contextualized by a particular history of um, displacement, land loss, or breaking up, you know, the breaking up of communities uh, experienced by, uh, by Métis people over the last centuries. And it may sound like a, a personal question, but um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know where and what you consider home. Home is where my cats are. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, that connects with uh, what I think is Dr. Sherry um, Ferrer said, said that yesterday. She said something really strong that um, home is not necessarily, you know, the land you're on, but it's the family. Family creates home. Mm. So and the language that you speak with, yeah. um, you know, so it doesn't matter where you are. Home is who we, you are with, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that really resonated um, yeah. to me. And for me, too, uh, Marilyn Dumont said yesterday something to the effect that uh, as Métis people, because we don't necessarily have land bases, yeah. our stories are our land, okay, and our so bodies was, are our yeah. land, mm-hmm. or something, something mm-hmm. to that effect. And so I, I thought that was really, that was really poignant as well. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, home is a multitude of places and people, yeah. and you know, home is. Home is where my cats are. <laughs> Home is where my husband is. Yeah. Home is where my parents live. Yeah. Um, I was born here in Edmonton. You know, Edmonton's a home. I was raised in the Wacklebish area. That's a home. And I've traveled so much um, and lived in multiple places across Canada. 
and you know my husband is Mi'kmaq from Newfoundland and that has become a home yeah. in a way and in a, in a different level and in, in the ways that I relate to like an ancestral homeland it's anywhere along the North Saskatchewan River is kind of like where my heart lives and um, there's actually multiple other rivers across Canada that I feel uh, very connected to as well but um, you know my grandmother and you know other generations of my family were born at various points along that river and you know I feel I feel very connected to the North Saskatchewan yeah. River so that that's a home for me as well. I've moved so much in my adult life I've moved so often once I moved five times in a year like it's wow. crazy mm -hmm. but I, I was I'm like is this just like classic Métis like <laughs> just moving all the time anyway so but I mean when I when I first really started learning about my family and stuff and 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 you know just historically how much people moved I was like okay well I felt like it kind of grounded me a little I didn't because I felt a little bit guilty that I moved so much and and kind of like ungrounded and disassociated yeah. especially when you move so often yeah. you know I don't know that that meant something to me when I saw that this happens a lot and I mean it still happens for many other people too but I just remember I lived in Ontario for 13 years like around southern Ontario and uh, it was a really beautiful place and I, I made some great connections and friends uh, you know they feel very dearly about and I still go back and see them so I mean that's sort of new new contacts which are wonderful but I do remember when I left Ontario uh, I was feeling very, you know, there's a lot going on in my life, but I just had this really strong calling to come home. And when I, you know, because I knew that I, I wanted to start this project about a relative, this documentary, and I just knew I had to come home to start that. And I knew that meant the prairies. And for me, I came back to Calgary because my parents and brother and sister were there, you know, just to be grounded because I'd been gone for so long I didn't really know anybody like well, at least my my family's there yeah. and uh, I remembered my dad flew out to Toronto and I picked him up at the airport and we started driving my car back just like full of stuff yeah just me and my dad and Ontario is so huge when you drive through that place it's just like takes you like yeah, yeah. 24 hours or something to get out of it <laughs> yes. um, and you know it's beautiful it's a beautiful drive but it's I remember when there was a morning and we started, and it was starting, to, it was November, I think, and we started to drive. We got to the border of Manitoba, we got into Manitoba. It was a little Canadian shieldy though, still, but then it started to open up into the prairies. And just like, because I hadn't, I'd flown back and forth a lot, but yeah. when you make that transition, transition on yeah. the land, I just remember the sun was like this light was so beautiful and the land I could finally see the sky like I was like ah oh, I could see the sky <laughs> like you know and like people think the prairies are so flat and boring and they are flat but I don't think they're boring to me yeah. you know I feel very at home in this open sky and I just making that really real transition back into the prairies it really struck me how much I'd missed that and how 
familiar and comforting that was to me. And I swear to God, the light was a different color than it was in, in Ontario. You know, like I was just like, yeah. you know, across I was that tree line. across that tree. Yeah, I was like, there's no trees in the way. No. <laughs> but it just it was really it really struck me. And I I just really remember feeling like yeah. I'm back. This is yeah. this is me. The prairies, you know. So, yeah, so going forward, um, one significant event that, uh, that builds on the exhibition itself is the Lissalet Symposium uh, that took place uh, the past two days over the, the opening weekend. And, um, and so the symposium featured um, the exhibition artists, uh, yourselves as curators, um, and guest speakers such as uh, Kathy Mattis, um, M.G. Belcourt, uh, Moses, and uh, Marilyn Dumont. And so, uh, you know, there were two panels thinking about being and becoming uh, Métis art as uh, Métis art continuums. The idea of the symposium um, was to maybe initiate um, a wider and, you know, ongoing conversation around uh, the issues that are raised by the exhibition. And I'm wondering, you know, if you could speak about the significance of this symposium and if you have some, you know, important points that you saw emerge during the symposium. How that make you feel as well, you know, oh to my see God, I'm that. so happy that it happened. Yeah. I think both panels were great. Um, it was the first one with the artists was kind of hilarious because there was like 15 people on stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think may maybe the tendency for something like that is usually to just pick a few artists and have a smaller panel. But I, I don't know, we just, because we're trying to give voice more to more people, you know, there's no way we could just pick a few artists. Like, we were like, we have to have Or to all. just, like, do a curatorial Yeah, or talk. just us. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, I was worried with that panel that we wouldn't be able to learn enough about each artist, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. it was such a short amount of time each artist had to speak. But I learned so, you know, even though I've been in conversation with these pe yeah. these artists for months, I learned so much more about each artist oh, yeah, totally. through their short introduction of themselves and their practice. and. Mm -hmm. For for me, for both panels, I was on the verge of tears the entire time of both. Well, when I yeah. wasn't laughing hysterically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I was so moved, and I felt I felt so empowered. Mm -hmm. I felt like um, we were empowering each other yeah. through our words, and we were empowering, you know whoever is to come after us as, as media artists and cultural workers. So that's how I felt about, about the panels. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was so supportive. Like it just felt like so cohesive. Like everybody seemed to really enjoy each other's company and you know, we had fun and we went and wrote on the happy wall and like, you know, like people just really enjoyed being together yeah. and, and talking and so that was really nice, you know, it doesn't always happen. felt like a family. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like a family gathering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a, we're probably all related. The, uh... <laughs>
cousin. Yes. <laughs> um, and then on the second day when we had um, the smaller mo panel that was moderated by uh, Dr. Erin Sutherland, with those three speakers you mentioned, and yeah. and uh, Dr. Sherry Frill Reset, who's also one of the artists. Um, that was just such a powerful panel, and I've learned a lot more from uh, well, Sherry and Kathy is mostly over the years, and uh, I've learned like a lot of the depth and richness of. Métis stories, you know, in the past and presently from those two uh, women. And um, and then Marilyn Dumont and MJ Belcourt-Moses and, and Erin Sutherland, Erin Sutherland, Erilyn, I think it's just an Erilyn. Erin <laughs> <laughs> Sutherland, like, they were just all such great speakers. Yeah. And I think they just gave such a, um, a sense of the depth of the people and the stories that exist mm -hmm. and it was amazing like you know it, it was everything I wanted to hear kind of all all in one place not that I, I wasn't expecting them you know you have to say this but just like it was so powerful I think to hear them all speak they had so many good things to say would you say um, so you you moderated the first uh, panel and so attended the second uh, the second panel um, hearing these conversations between the, the, the guest speakers, um, would you say that it changed your perspective on, on the exhibition, the work you've done, and um, you know, on contemporary Métis art more broadly? Like, are there any questions that the, the panel uh, resolved for you, or did it raise new questions? And you're like, okay, that's the next show. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know. Um, I mean, it definitely, you know, when I'm thinking back to both of those panels, like, <laughs> like I'm just like, so much. I know, I'm just yeah, like yeah. flooding all these thoughts. I'm yeah, like, yeah, whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. You know, I just, everything everybody said was, I just felt it was kind of just peeling away these layers, right? Yeah. And making a lot of connections, uh, some of which we had sort of, seen mm -hmm. already with the themes but making other ones like the theme of loneliness was yeah. so interesting yeah. that people was surprising about me. yeah in, they were all like a, a number of people talk of the artists talked about dealing with loneliness and feeling alone yeah so that was really fascinating that was a, that was what i wasn't expecting that was really really interesting to hear i feel like for me it just it really almost for me it was an affirmation mm -hmm. you know that everyone seemed to be responding to the work in a in a positive way and in a way that was bringing up their own personal or familial stories mm -hmm. and i found that to be really powerful especially on the on the saturday panel and the fact that on the Saturday panel in responding to the exhibition, the panelists were taking us into all different kinds of directions yeah. and yeah. talking about, I don't know, 
in <laughs> like, like how many bead colors yeah they were talking you know, about like, material yeah. they were talking about their ancestors they were talking about the future they were so many different aspects yeah. and then telling really detailed beautiful stories and i'm i'm so pleased yeah. with with that it was so generous from the audience perspective mm -hmm. being you know in the audience and and witnessing this it was really generous from the mm -hmm. pop to share so many stories and um, you know, and not just concepts like real life, yes, real things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was very interesting. All right. So thinking about the exhibition and the symposium, and you know, thinking about how um, what you would like to see come out of this exhibition in terms of you know, we mentioned that broader dialogue. What would you? What do you think individual, you know, visitors might take away? What would you like for visitors to take away when they see that exhibition? I think that we exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that was a big thing on the panel. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's simply our existence, right? Yeah. This, you know, the... We've tried to, like, the, like Canada has tried to erase us. Mm -hmm. And that's a part of the big misunderstanding about who we are as a people. So I think on the very, the very surface, it's like we exist. We are a people. Um, and we're still here. And we're still here. Yeah. We're making art. And I think just, you know, that it's um, one of the other things, too, that came up in the panel and, and, and talking outside of the panels. But I think both panels, but especially on Saturday, was really good for was, um, you know, uh, this tendency for uh, people wanting to understand Métis in these really abstract ways. Like you're like, oh, you're mixed. Everybody is mixed, you know, and what does it mean? And you're a hybrid and like all these things. And um, that, that definitely is where we've come from, but you know, that we're also a very real cultural group. And it's not just this abstract, like, you know, everybody's Métis or something like yeah. that. Or like John Ralston Saul said in one of his books, I can't remember, it was some book about Canada as a nation. I think the very first line was like, we are all Métis. And I, I was just mm. like, come on. Like, you know, that's that kind of abstract. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's tricky because Métis is a French word that means yeah. mixed. So, I mean, I think yeah. there's like a linguistic difficulty with it. Yes. Yeah, and so it's that's a bit of a challenge, and I think also why people kind of then refer back to the language, right? Mitchif, that's that's its own thing, you know, and, and people call it, you know we're Mitchif. So that's so there's a bit of trick trickiness there, but I think that this panel is so important for explain, you know, really getting into the depth of the culture and the stories and the histories that are very real and mm -hmm. not just these like sort of abstract like yeah. postmodern yeah. you know concepts yeah or stereotypes or symbols yeah. like, that we all like jig and play the fiddle and mm -hmm. yeah you know like those kind of ideas and mm -hmm. to show that there is a simplification maybe yes yeah yes. simplification as well as you know there is a diversity within our communities and and in our arts practice mm -hmm. as well and i just really hope that they enjoy all the different textures and yes. mediums and yeah exactly and techniques used <coughs> in the artwork yeah yeah because i mean there's so many different communities and you know and 
people are often related, but there's also differences. So it's nice, you know, to see the diversity within within the group. And I was trying to remember, I was like, who said this to me? The thing about um, people seeing Métis as this abstract concept. That was Sherry Ferrell-Rosette was, you know, saying saying that to me. And I think it's a really important point. That and I think in terms of a broader dialogue, I really hope that, you know, this is kind of, can be a a catalyst for further exhibitions, further writing, um, and I hope, um, and not not for me, not, I don't want to, not necessarily me, you yeah, know, like yeah, I hope yeah. other people exactly. are yeah. inspired to, yeah. you know, do their own meteor ex- exhibitions. Yeah, no, this or, is like, this is, I think, very much, you know, we're both hoping that this will continue, and, you know, it's just... Uh, another one of many Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not just by us like we by no means (laughs) you know (laughs) are like yeah there should be many many people engaging with this and I'm really excited to see what comes next Mm -hmm. all right so I have one more challenge for you so there is a little ritual for this podcast and um, I typically ask my my guests to name the conversation you know (laughs) (laughs) Um, depending on the mood and, uh, and and what comes to mind. And the idea here is to capture that encounter. Um, and so that becomes the name, the title of the podcast. Um, so you can throw ideas. We don't have to, we don't have to settle on something. Okay. We can come back to it. We can change it. But right off the bat, what do you feel, you know, having that conversation? Like, how would you describe that? Happy exhaustion. Exactly. Meet AF. Meet AF, yeah. Okay, okay. Because it's going to be, you know, in conversation with Amy Malbuff and, and Jesse Ray Short. Meet AF. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's uh, it's bringing you back to a moment, right? Yeah. To that specific moment of happiness, and as she was sharing yesterday, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. anyway, no no pressure. Okay. We can talk about it. Yeah, let's okay. talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so Amy, Jesse, really, I very very much appreciated this conversation and and time spent together, and um, I really thank you for it. I invite listeners to get curious and get informed and experience the exhibition Lisale at the Art Gallery of Alberta on display until next September. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi, hi. In Conversation podcast series is a project of the Art Gallery of Alberta. For more information on Lisa Lay and other AGA programming, please visit the website at yoaga.ca. The AGA would like to thank guest curators Amy Malbuff and Jesse Rayshold, as well as producers Nam Kabeski, Charles Cousins, and Elizabeth Hill. We extend our gratitude to artist Dana Danger, who made this podcast complete by allowing us to use the soundscape of her 2017 video work Bebe Schwendam as interludes to this recording. Thank you, Dana.